0: and welcome to Ripen Special Education Weekly. I'm Mark Gray and this is our first episode. This is something brand new that we're trying here at Ripen, uh, a weekly program where we're going to answer your questions about special education in Rhode Island. Now for those of you who might not be familiar with Ripen, uh, we are the Rhode Island Parent Information Network, with the official Parent Training and Information Center for the state of Rhode Island. That's a designation from the US Department of Education. Every state has a Parent Training Information Center, or PTIC, uh, and we are the one for Rhode Island. And we are staffed almost entirely by peers, what we call peer professionals. These, um, these are folks on our team, are parents of children who receive or have received special education or related services. Parents of children with disabilities, they have lived experience. We combine that lived experience with uh, professional training to sort of help support families in a way that, uh, that we otherwise wouldn't be able to. And we've been doing this, uh, helping parents navigate special education for almost 30 years. Since Rhode Island schools first went to distance learning back in March, we've done a series of webinars around special education and how it looks in Rhode Island and how it looks right now with distance learning, different topics. And we've gotten tons of great audience participation, tons of great questions at each of these webinars, usually way more than we have time to answer. And so we thought, what if we did a regular sort of program just dedicated to answering some of those questions? And so now uh, here we are, we're gonna do just that. We're gonna do it every week and I'm going to let you know how you can send those questions in. But first I want to take a moment. I want to introduce our panelists today. I am joined by Katie Conti, Anne Fertura, and Deb Belanger, all members of our special education team, all parents of students with disabilities who again have that lived experience and they help parents from all over Rhode Island with special education every day. And they're going to take your questions today. Now, if you're here with us on zoom, and you have a question that you'd like to submit today, you can type your question into the chat box. You can use the Q&A button. If you would like to uh, be unmuted, so you can sort of ask your question verbally, that's great. You can press the raise hand button to raise your hand. We would ask if you can, to type your question in at the same time or as you're waiting to be called on, just to give us a sense of sort of what folks are looking to ask today. If you're with us on YouTube, if you're listening to the live stream on YouTube, you can submit your questions there. Uh, You can type them right into the comments or use the chat function there and we will try our best to answer them. You can tweet your questions at us. You can tweet at ripen underscore ri You can email your questions to weekly at ripen.org and we'll try our best to answer them today or on a future show. We do want to protect everyone's privacy. So as you're phrasing your question, we want to ask that you try to refrain from using uh, names, including your child's name, the name of any specific school, any school district, uh, specific school personnel. We just really want to protect everyone's privacy. It's a, a, a top concern for us. Other than that, please tell us anything you'd like about your situation and how we might be able to, to help you troubleshoot it. Uh, and we are, like I said, going to get to those questions very soon. But before we do, I kind of want to put to our panel that we have today. It's been a, a few weeks now since school has restarted for the year. You work in our call center, as I mentioned. What are you hearing? Are there any trends that are, that are coming up in the calls that you're getting? What are, what are the things that you're hearing and noticing?
1: Thanks, Mark. Um, so, first of all, we're hearing a lot. We, there are lots of trends. Um, I think, you know, when we try to answer some questions today, we're, we're going to kind of go, again, start back from where the last time we, we went live, which was um, our last webinar, and really be focusing on uh, listening to how schools are providing um, inappropriate public education it's like what kind of creative ideas are they thinking about you know how is that 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 idea of open communication between families and schools that's kind of you're gonna hear a little bit us talk about that and how we answer our questions um, and that really individualization of our students but the trends that we're really so so let's let's just kind of talk about what we're seeing um, so we're seeing, as everyone knows, the pandemic has created a lot of chaos. And that that chaos is now somewhat happening in schools in individual ways. There's a lot of great things happening. There's a lot of strategies that are being utilized. And some of the things that we're hearing from families, um, for example, we're getting calls from families whose kids are maybe been doing distance learning, and now they're like, okay, this isn't working. I want, we want our child to go back to in-person. We have families that are calling whose child, children are doing in-person learning and they want their kids to go back into a distance learning, from in-person to distance learning. Um, this is an interesting trend that we're starting to see. If families of children with disabilities who have um, utilized 504 plans that have had a lot of accommodations in place, but now, in this new um, education realm that we're in, they're thinking or they're, they're worried or maybe considering should, should my child have an IEP? We're hearing a lot multilingual learners are not always getting the supports necessary to access their education in that language that they, that they need. Um, what else are we hearing? We're hearing, we're hearing for around little ones, which, which we know that they've gotta be having just an, an incredibly hard time with us being sent home to, to do distance learning because maybe they're struggling with their social emotional learning. We've got one, we've heard, we, have, we don't have this case, but we've heard of one situation where a six year old was restrained for not wearing a mask. I mean, there's a lot of social emotional issues that happen for uh, certain kids that, are, that, that really have that impact on their education and some of it's just happening to uh, lots of kids. Um, the, the thing that we're still have some concerns about is we're still hearing from a lot of, uh, of families that schools are sent telling parents things like, we can't do anything yet until we're back in person. So that's a little bit concerning, however, it's important to remember, and we're we're going to start taking some uh, questions and talk about that, that we're also, we've got to remember, and we talk to parents about this, but that the target moves every day, right, in education for all students and teachers. So if one child or one teacher tests positive for COVID, the whole class changes, creating like all sorts of transitions, right, for everyone, parents, teachers, students, Certainly for students that transition's already a challenge, this is not great news. But this is the reality of what we're living in. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're distance learning or in person, every time something shifts, it's like dominoes. Every, there's a lot of people that are being impacted. So, you know, you may go to school one day and the classroom that the classmates that you're sitting with may not look the same for some kids, if they've been told they need to go home because someone tested positive or your teacher. So those things really impact our kids that have those additional challenges. It can be especially hard. However, because I don't wanna just create like that everything is doom and gloom. One of the things that we are hearing from families is that they're reporting their child's team, there's a lot of reporting that teachers are working really hard to make things work. It doesn't mean that everything is perfect and it doesn't mean that um, we've got all, they've got all the answers, but there's a lot of collaborating going on and there's a lot of families that are being brought into that collaborating. So that to give you a kind of a framework. So with that said, um, Mark, I'm just wondering where you wanna begin. I mean, we'd love, we wanna hear questions. We want it, this to kind of be open and see how it goes today. We also wanna hear from maybe those families that um, their district maybe came up with some really creative out-of-the-box solutions or ideas um, in helping support their child well, you know, in special education. So what do you, where would you like to go now? Absolutely,
0: well, uh, I again wanna remind our audience that you can submit your questions here on Zoom. You can uh, enter them in the chat if you're watching us on YouTube. Uh, When you do put in your questions, something I I forgot to mention, we do want to protect folks' privacy. So if you could please refrain from saying the name of your child, uh, mentioning the name of any particular school or school district or school personnel, um, just to sort of protect folks' privacy here. Uh, It's a a pretty big concern of ours. So we don't have any audience questions as yet. uh, But why don't we turn to to the panel here and you've given us a pretty good kind of overview of what you're hearing. It sounds like it's very different across the state from district to district. Mm -hmm. You're probably getting a lot of different responses to to similar things. I know one question that I understand we get quite a bit a lot is around evaluations uh, related to to IEPs. Um, Are they happening can they still happen? Are the timelines changed? And I leave that to anyone on the, on the panel here today who'd like to, to answer that.
1: So we, maybe we should all unmute ourselves like we would in any other chaotic conversations that we have. And um, I can certainly start and say that one thing we wanna be very clear that IDEA did not go away, special education, regulations did not change. Nothing has changed. And so how we gather data looks different and it has to look different, but it doesn't, it shouldn't be stopping processes for those students. Um, We've had some, we're hearing some creative things that are happening. I'm wondering if either Katie or Ann want to share anything around what they're hearing out there or what we've been experiencing? because we are going to a lot of, we are going to IEP meetings virtually, we're going to mediations virtually, we're going to evaluation meetings virtually, so we're definitely out there. And we are hearing, starting very slowly, starting to hear people kind of stretching these ideas. I'm gonna say it hopefully for the last time, there is, there's nothing in IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, that prohibits us to think and do outside of the box. Do you guys wanna chime in with anything? Maybe uh, an example, Katie?
2: um so we are seeing a lot of creative things i think um teams are definitely needing to talk about if evaluations are needed and some kiddos are back in school with some staff so some things can start happening in person Um, but we have also seen for kiddos who are home um districts using um outside evaluations from private providers in their data. Um, they're using screening tools and getting parent report to collect information that way. And we've even um, seen some teachers complete observations. So they're watching the kiddo um, in the home rather than in the classroom. Um, So, definitely thinking outside of the box, collecting as much information they can about the students so they can determine their needs and how they can meet them.
3: I think the most important thing that we've been seeing is, like Katie and Deb both said, but the the IEP team has been such an amazing um, venue, as it always has been, but even more so for for gathering everybody's um, viewpoint and ideas. And I think that's where the the individualization has really, um, although we know IEP teams have always been required to to come up with individualized solutions and plans, I think it's even more so now the yeah. focus has really become individualized, at least on the whole, that's what we're seeing. So the IEP mm-hmm. team is where it's at.
1: Yeah, you know, I think we've been saying that for a while. There's never been really a, a time where the individualization of IDEA has really become apparent. And for school districts that are trying to accomplish so much with so many different variables, the I, I mean, I've sat in, in, in a couple of meetings and you all are sitting in them, there's a lot of people in education who want to make it work for my child or your child. Like, we're seeing that in these meetings. I just, before we got on today, I was speaking with another staff person and asking her, like, so, you know, yes, we, we know the things that are going not so well, but give me, tell me something. And she shared, she just shared with me, and Katie, you probably know, maybe know where I'm going with this, that in um, one particular case, one very challenging case. Um, where a student needed to go to a more restrictive setting into a, um, a, a more of a day school, what we would call a day school setting. Um, we needed to more evaluative data and the school district who had been phenomenal in just trying to do everything to, to, to make this happen because they understood the needs of the child, but they needed a little bit more. They sent a provider into the home you know, with masked up and did all that thing. It was all in agreement with the family and the school district, so that they could gather just a little bit more data before they went and kind of took a second, uh, took a took a look at this potential new placement. So that was a really, um, that's the little pieces we're starting to see creep out. You know, that are really important and again because we're not going to be able to do everything the way we used to. And there's nothing prohibiting us from doing that. I mean, schools. You know, I know that there are people here today that are that are listening in that are from schools and districts, and I under, We understand where the hands are tied. We understand that there's school budgets and town town budgets and um, union contracts and all those things that can create these parameters uh, that can strangle and really not help us help students, but there's wiggle room in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's, so let's, let's get into that a little bit. We've got some questions coming in now. Uh, If a school says that uh, the only way to provide supports for a child with an IEP is in person and the questioner asks, is that true? What can parents do if, child is is doing in-person learning or is, is doing virtual learning. So I guess that's a big question, right, that you're probably seeing a lot of. Schools mm-hmm. are saying we can only provide these services if the child is coming into the school in person. Is What can happen there? What can a parent do?
3: Okay, I'll start there. Um, and I think, I think in a situation like that, I would challenge, and I say challenge in a very positive way. I don't mean challenge as an adversarial. I mean, Challenge people to, to meet and think, again, outside the box. I'm going to stop using that term a little bit. Um, and we're
1: all using it. Yeah.
3: yeah to, to come together and really say, is that really all we can do? Is there anything else we can agree to try first? Is there anywhere we can move in this direction? Try it. And if it doesn't work, we try something else. So, I again, I say challenge in a way meaning um, really ask people to to open um, a, a different, or change their mindset a little bit, I guess. Um, that's where I would start. I, and I don't think, I think in any of these questions, we're, we're gonna be able to possibly give ideas of where to start, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's never um, one final answer for everybody. So that's where I would start.
0: So situations- and I would
1: add to that, that districts, at least a lot of the plans that we took a look at have to be preparing for what if what if everything falls apart and everybody has to go back to distance learning. Distance learning hasn't gone away. So we know that there need to be a variety of ways right now anyways, where we're providing supports and services in a child's education. Even if a school, that's the ultimate goal, right? That we know, everyone knows what, that for kids to be physically in person, that's the best way to get their education. Or that's certainly, you know, the, the what most, for most kids. But um, I agree with uh, Annie in that, we've got to go back to the table. And I do think parents need to be able to say, well, hold on, are other kids getting, dis- being afforded distance learning? Are we talking about just my child or is this a big generalization? Is this a big generalization about, well, kids in our districts, for example, if they need speech or they need PT, or they they have to come into a building. And we know that for some kids, that's that's not gonna be possible for whatever their compromised immune systems, whatever those other things are going. So no, as I said earlier, And when we look back at that document that we talked about, that Ride put out, the whole idea is we don't want to be restricted by old ways of thinking. We do know that there are kids, and I can think of one right now with with the parents on our team, whose child's doing very well with distance, um, getting those additional provider, those additional supports through distance learning. It shouldn't be one or the other schools need to be able to look at for our kids that especially with ieps that it's a a continuum
0: so yeah so talking about ieps and the difference between having an iep and accommodations through a section 504 plan so another question we have is do those accommodations in a section 504 plan still need to be provided during distance learning are there differences there between what's required in an iep versus a section 504
1: plan You know, I'm gonna jump in constantly. So somebody you you guys gotta move a little quicker with this. <laughs> Mark, can you so say are the gonna loud. be bored to death here one hearing more so. time?
0: Yeah, yeah. So the question is is about accommodations in a section 504 plan and, and do those still need to be provided during distance learning? And and I was just wondering, you, you know, in talking about a section 504 plan versus say an IEP. Are there requirements different for for the schools and what they sort of have to follow? And what can a parent do if their child only has a Section 504? Can they get those accommodations
1: through distance learning? Thank you. Katie, Katie, remember we talked about this. It's about disability. Go. So
2: students with disabilities still need to have access to their education, right? So but yes, this is a different time. And so some accommodations, might get implemented differently. Um, They might need different accommodations if they're doing distance learning than what they actually needed in school, right? Some things might not work at home. Um, So the important thing, I think, is to go back to the team. My student's not able to access their education. This 504 plan that we have isn't working right now. Um, (laughs) What can we tweak? What needs to be changed? Um, You know, what was happening at school that I can't do right now at home because I don't have the right tools? So, you know, my kiddo had a wiggle seat in school. Can I get one for home? That type of thing. So yes, they should still be receiving accommodations so they can access their education, but we also want to make sure
1: that the accommodations that they're receiving make sense and that they're helping. Definitely a time to go back and Really parents need to look at it. Don't think of it as 504 versus IEP, but really think about it. We're talking about kids with documented disability, which means di- whatever's going on with them, it's getting in the way of their access to their education. And that was a great example with the wiggle seat or anything like that. You know, um, how do we make that happen? And in, in again, especially if it's in a distance learning setting.
0: Right. Yeah, because what they were providing in a, in a school classroom is not always going to make sense for what you're, you're going to need in a exactly. distance learning setting when you're in your home. Um, speaking of distance learning and some of the challenges that come with it. This questioner uh, they ask, you know, my daughter is frustrated by the Chromebook all all the emails and different folders. Uh, she says it's all too much. Can I go back To paper packets is the question so schools are great a lot of schools have done a great job they provided this technology but for a student who doesn't really thrive when it comes to those tools do they have options can they go back to receiving just paper packets that maybe they can complete
3: i would say on that one that um we don't want we don't we don't want to throw up any more barriers than we have to in an already difficult situation so in this case, I, I think communication with a case manager, special education teacher is the, is the best place to start with this. Um, again, we have had families that we've worked with that maybe um, the FaceTime work is the barrier. And so there have been some online, um, programs that have worked where it's not a face-to-face. There are just some students who have a hard time looking at a face that long and that, and that much on a screen. So um, if paper is, the, is another alternative for those who just work best in that mode, uh, whatever we can do, I think everybody has the best interests of children at heart. Um, and sometimes we have to think around what we've always done um or even what we've most recently done with distance learning, we still have to rethink these things for individual children.
0: All right, um, Very good. Thank you for that, Anne. So a couple more questions we have now. What about accessing education in a in a specific le- language? This question is, how can my child access their education in their native language? So for an English language learner, are, are they uh, entitled to any specific accommodations or what can the parents do in that situation?
1: I'm gonna, okay, go ahead, Katie.
2: So yeah, please chime in, um, mm-hmm. but I would encourage the family, many districts have um, English language learner coordinators or dual language learner coordinators, and I would encourage families to reach out to them um, to talk about their students' needs and how they can access their education to come up with a plan. I don't know what Deb and Ann's thoughts are. And,
1: well, and especially if they are a child with an IEP that also happens to have uh, language as a barrier, you know, go, first of all, you want to go back and look at that IEP. What what other pieces were in there and make sure, first of all, that is being implemented. And if you're going to have that meeting, you want to make sure that, as Katie said, um the that um, if it's a, a multilingual language uh, coordinator, I'm not sure what the title is, but that they now become part of this and they would be great if they weren't involved regularly before this would be a great time to bring them to this table mm-hmm. and how are we going to do this? because that is a trend that we're seeing is is some of our kids that, where English is not their first language, they're not getting access to their education. So again, it does require a, a, a lot of creativity and a lot of um, really thinking, stretching the thinking um, on school departments, but we can do it one kid at a time. And, and so parents, oh, get that individualized stuff going, get that meeting going and make sure you bring those other people to the table also.
3: I have one more thing to add too. I think um, one thing we've said in cases like this is, if it was happening before distance learning, as far as instruction in another, you know, in, in native language, then it should be happening afterwards, no matter what. If it wasn't happening before, um, if we we may have seen some backpedaling uh, or regression in, in in some kids who were making progress in their um, language learning. Um, Distance learning takes a whole different um, in-person. Look at me, I talk with my hands a lot. If I had a teacher who did a lot of working with me and and I'm able to get things from a face-to-face that I'm not able to get now because I'm separated by a screen, that's new information. And and that's one thing, like we said before, that parents parents are big data collectors now in, in so many areas. So now that's a big piece of information to share with that with that um, coordinator that might take a little bit of a different accommodation, like we were saying with accommodations.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, again, again, it's all about adapting to the situation as it is now. Uh, this questioner asks, "My child is in a co-taught class. Are his service hours from his special educator supposed to be the same?" when he's learning from home?
1: So again, it's kind of, we're going back and looking at that IEP, right? We're looking at those service pages. um, And as far as the same, whether as minute to minute, we're supposed to be still following that IEP the best way possible. You know, when we talked about doing this and as we work on with families, we keep trying to use the word How, how does it look different? So as far as, is it minute by minute? Maybe, maybe not. There's a lot of, I sat in a meeting the other day um, with a family and the question came up with this very large team around, with with a lot of significant challenges, what's the priority? Now, we don't want people thinking, oh my gosh, he can't, you know, we're going to sacrifice this to get that. This, what we're talking about is temporary. What we're talking about is unusual. There does become a point in time, even as parents, when we look at what's happening in our homes, that we have to take a moment to say, what is it that we what is the main focus? Let's let's put this in a level of priority. And so if if that time with that special educator, if that if that is what's going to be needed, then we need to work on that. And whether it's distancing or in person, maybe it's a combination of both. But again, that it's not an easy answer because again, as you know, Ann said earlier, it's it's so individualized. But we've gotta look at what's going to have the most impact. You know, we know kids that are sitting in in some, these virtual meetings from 8.30 in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon. And that might not be the best. I don't think that's necessarily the best for all kids, but that's just me being me. The idea for some of our kids is what that time is, how do we carve that out? Are there times where it do, that child does need to be in, in school to receive that? But again, take it back to that team and talk about what, do, what are we gonna focus on today and tomorrow? This is fluid. And every time, every time something changes in school right now, everything gets thrown up in the air and juggled and we've gotta rethink it all over again.
0: So a question about services. Um specific services, for example, speech therapy. This questioner says, my son is supposed to be getting an hour a week of speech, but that hasn't happened yet. What should I do next? So there's a service that's clearly outlined, it sounds like, in an IEP, but it's not happening. What's the next step a parent can take in that situation?
2: Um, it would probably be helpful for the, for the parent to reach out to the speech and language pathologist or the case manager on the IEP um, and say, hey, my kiddo hasn't started their services yet, when are they going to start, you know, what's hindering it. Um, and then if it's not resolved in an email, you know, quickly, they can call an IEP meeting to talk about how is their kiddo going to be able to access their speech and language services or whatever the service might be, OT, PT. Um, you know, they can pull the team together to work that out. Absolutely. And
0: and I know from sitting through some of your presentations before around special education and parents' rights, you always, uh, I always hear you encouraging parents to document basically all of this communication uh, Mm -hmm. in in as detailed a manner as possible. Uh, sending an email makes it easy. You can, you can refer back to those emails, but anytime you make phone calls, right, you're encouraging parents to, to, to j- jot that down somewhere, notate, you know, this was the time, this is who I tried to reach. This is what the conversation sounded like. Uh
2: Absolutely, Baymark. Mark. And I think too, if it is a phone call, you know, they can recap that conversation in an email back to the team or to the case manager and the speech therapist. Thank you for taking time to talk with me today. It's my understanding that Mike is going to receive his speech starting on Monday,
1: you know, some, something like that, just to make sure they have that documentation.
0: So that's, never,
1: that's the main thing that we're focusing, right? The focus has to be around communication back and forth with parents in school. That's, that's the only thing that's going to really make this, um, anything move forward is going to be, and that documentation can come in so many different forms, so.
0: So, this next question is about uh, assistive technology evaluation. What does a parent need to do to get an assistive technology evaluation? Is this anything that you're hearing about?
3: So, there's different, um, there's an evaluation and there are some assessments. I think at some, at some point right now, since so many kids are using Chromebooks, um, there are your basic steps of communicating with your team and asking if there are certain add-ons that could be added in to make things more accessible, right? But then, if we have, um, if we're still having trouble, and we need an evaluation, again, that needs to go through the IEP team because that's something that a parent needs to, you know, request, consent to, and initiate that that evaluation. So, um, no matter what. It goes through the team, it goes through a teacher to start, even if it's that that basic assessment. And then um, if it needs to have a full team meeting, then that, it would go from there.
0: So here's a a story. I don't have a question, they write. Uh, I would like to share my experience. My son had his IEP review virtually last year, and it is happening this year, too, in November, to see how he's doing. And when our kids went remote from March to June, 2020, my son had his services virtually. It was different, but the team made it work for my son. I guess it depends on the school. And that really does speak to what, I mean, we have however many school districts and different schools and different school personnel throughout the state. And, you know, some of them, it also just gonna depend on the student. And what the students' needs are, and how can we adapt to meet those needs in a virtual environment? You know, some things are obviously easier and harder than other things. Uh, but that is a good—that is a good story to hear. That a school was able to provide those services all um, from March to June through all through the end of the school year last year. That is great. Um, speaking of of some of those services being or some of those IEP needs being very different and, and some may be harder to, to meet than others. Uh, this person writes, how can my son's social emotional issues be met through distance learning? He has social emotional goals in his IEP. And I know this is kind of a big question that you all wrestle with day to day. Who's gonna jump I'll on start. this one?
1: First? I'll, I'll
2: start, but I'm sure okay. we all can um, contribute. Simon, yep. So again, a really, really important thing to bring to the team and also really individual. Some kiddos' social emotional learning goals might benefit from virtual meetings with the social worker or the psychologist, and they might continue to make progress on their goals that way. For some kiddos, if it's peer interactions, Um, let's say, for example, with a young preschooler, right? That would be a lot more challenging to do virtually and that might not work. Um, So make sure that you're having those conversations with the team um, so that they can be talking about how they think they can support the kiddo, how you think the kiddo could be supported, um, challenges, definitely that open communication and it's going to some students, yes, it probably can work virtually and for others, it might be more challenging and there might need to be some more individualization.
3: I think it's important too to to ask ask that individual um, person who would normally a- address that goal, um, whether it's the school social worker or school psychologist or have they um, have they networked with any of their their own peers in other schools. Do they know of anyone we did hear of someone who was um, facilitating a group through zoom doesn't does does that mean every school is required to it's not it's just about can we it's how can we it's is this possible if this isn't possible is this possible Um, so i think again it's bringing things um,
1: to the table as questions um And also, I mean, there are going to be times where, especially for our kids with social emotional needs, that we might need to reevaluate because of all these changes that really have impacted their um, well-being, their way to process all of this information. Katie and I have been talking a lot about the young ones, the littles, the the, under second graders who... um, are really struggling with this. You know, we're talking about kids who were putting putting back in, in person with and with this possibly false sense of um, uh, congregate kind of interaction, you know, that kids will be able to socialize. And that's somewhat limited. And for kids that have those, already have those challenges, that may be very frustrating. Uh, in addition to wearing masks and, and the other, um, kind of restrictions after we to we put on kids. So again, there's not going to be one right answer for this, but it this is a, it is really important that um, if we need to get new data, how do we do that? How do we um, if that child is is having issues at home, or this is the concern? Katie, you're the one who said it to me the other day. Was you know we're bringing them back to in person kids that already have social emotional challenges and now they're being sent home we're not technically suspending them right we're not calling it a suspension but we're saying yeah it's not working here and we can't keep him safe and other students safe so you know they're going to have to go back home to distance learning and that's not always what that can't always happen either so it is clearly that it is a big um It's a big area of need that's still being worked on.
0: Um, Yeah, super challenging um, for for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I want to remind folks that if you're listening, whether it's on YouTube, you're watching us, you're here in the Zoom, you can type in your questions in the chat through either YouTube or Zoom. You can tweet your questions to us at Ripen. That's R-I-P-I-N underscore ri at ripen underscore ri on twitter you can email questions to weekly at ripen.org and we will do our best to answer them one question we have right now is my child has an iep and has very poor computer skills and i need to sit beside him the whole day for him to get anything done but i work full-time i work from home full-time what can i do about this And this is a huge, obviously a huge sort of societal issue that a lot of parents are facing right now, having to be both a home educator uh, and a full-time worker. I don't know if there are any tips or anything that you're able to tell parents when they call with these kinds of questions.
1: We can tell you that our staff are going through this right now. I mean, we are fortunate at RIPIM that we're all able to work From home remotely Uh, and a great majority of the of the staff that work at Ripen are caregivers of some sort. So if they're not caring for a child with a disability, their own children, they're caring for parents, loved ones, and other ones in the home. So they are also having the same challenge of kind of working and needing to support their child. So that's the big caveat. That's the big elephant in the room as they say. but ladies, help me to kind of identify where people are starting to get creative um, as far as support in the home, for example. Um, we know, I was just gonna say, like, and I'll just throw it out and then let you guys respond. We know that there are kids that already have maybe one-on-ones written into their IEP. Let's just pull the band-aid off and start talking about this, okay? And there's lots of conversations going on and how, how can, how are we utilizing that support? Um, how we, can we do that differently? And so we don't think about that actual person, but thinking about that support that's needed, that I, what I call instructional support, not direct instruction from a teacher. That's not what we're talking about. We're, that be very clear about that. We're talking about the support that that, that child needs um, in addition to the direct instruction they're getting from their teacher. What do you got ladies? What would you what would you like to
3: I can Start um, I think we talked I talked before about um, Collecting your own data um, and and I and I say that not um, so that parents are, are I, I want to spin it in a positive way not so we can Um build a case. I really mean it as you're the mo- you're the ones on the front line or your parents are if you're working. So grandparents are doing a phenomenal job of stepping in in some cases. Um, So I would be collecting my own data to show some really specific instances that when, so on this date, when I had to walk away, if, if you're lucky enough to work remotely, because I, I think in this case, if you're not even present, I don't know that we can even answer that question.
2: Mm-hmm. But if
3: You are working from home, but you need to get your work done. If I walk away three times on, on this Monday, um, what happened when I walked away? What happened to Anne's access to her education at that point? Okay so this is what happened I've got my my information now and now you're you're asking cuz you, we as parents we don't have to come up with all the solutions we are a team for a reason so my question would be how can we make sure that Anne has her access that's where I would start
2: mhm I was thinking the same as Anne with the data. You know, what isn't working exactly? Like trying to be as specific as possible. Um, what is happening? Is the kiddo becoming fatigued? Are there tears, um, tantrums? Like what is, ha- or, or they're not able to complete their work. Like be as specific as possible about what you're seeing, especially keeping in mind. We think the teachers are seeing everything, but a lot of times they just can't have eyes on every single kiddo at the time and they might be missing that your child is frustrated or shutting down. Right, i Um, I, I, sorry, sorry, Katie. That's okay. And then, um, and I think, you know, having the conversation with your child's case manager would probably be helpful. But in order to really um, get a lot of different ideas and to really figure out what supports are possible and how, bringing that IEP team together is, is going to be necessary and sometimes it might be helpful to reach out to your special ed director.
0: In other words, it's not on you to, to figure out on your own. As a no. parent, you have a team. Uh, this is exactly the kind of thing that you should feel Encouraged to bring to your child's uh, case manager IEP team, that's great. We do um, have
1: a couple of examples of some yeah. things that people have been creative about, and um, so and I'm going to use something that you shared with me yesterday about a case where the fan the parent, uh, you know, collecting data is important, and we use that term in a lot of different ways. But this is a very different time. We're not doing everything a lot, not enough maybe, in pencil and paper, this parent, because the needs of the child had been really a struggle, took a video of her child in front of the, um, the Chromebook, the laptop, whatever he was on, was not taking a video of what was going on on the laptop, but really took a short video showing the struggle that this child was having. She brought it to her IEP team, and the, the special ed director who was there thanked the parent for bringing that information to say, you know, this, this gave a really good picture of really seeing how hard your child is working, how, what, how the struggles that he's having with it. I think that that really can speak volumes. Taking the pulse of your child, like t- when we talk about data, let's get more specific. How long does your child, look at that screen. There are days where I can't believe the amount of time I've been looking at a screen. And for kids, five-year-olds, eight-year-olds, 15-year-olds, no matter what, that's gonna look very different. So how long can they attend to to a task on a screen? How much of a break do they need? What what does that look like? Does that differ based on the topic or the activity? So that becomes really important. So the video was a great idea. Um, I also, I mean, the question started with, how do you help, you know, I, I work and what it, what if that? Um, Katie, you shared a case where you were in the meeting and um, a tutor became part of a conversation. Do you wanna share a little bit of that?
2: Sure, the uh, parent had hired support with their student, their kiddo um, on their own. Um, And the tutor was included in the IEP meeting to talk about how are we gonna help this this kiddo? Um, She needed to be, distance learning for medical reasons, um, but it was not working for her to be virtual on the screen all day, every day. And so all of the teachers, there were several teachers present in the IEP meeting as well, were able to really talk with the tutor about how they were utilizing her. She was giving feedback. And again, the, the special ed director was present so that the student's needs could be heard and there could be some agreement about how the tutor um, can be used by the district um, to support the kiddo and when that's
1: appropriate. Really thinking outside the box. Again, that they didn't come to that decision easily, but they were open to, okay, wait a minute. Yeah, we've we've never done this before, but can we do this? And it's, we already know it's working. We've already got the data to show that this support, plus her IEP already had that she needed that level of additional support in there anyway. So, again, just trying to show some examples of how that support in the home, which is very, very challenging might, and also thinking about, and then I'll stop, but we know there's kids that get HBTS, they get a pass, they're getting other supports in the home already. How can we creatively, is there ways to creatively use those supports in in the education realm? Parents could think about that and, and kind of bring that into the conversation also. Everything yeah. should be on the table.
0: Those are all great examples. And I know that one of the things we want to do here uh, every week is bring some of these things that we're hearing because because we here at Ripen are in a position to hear these stories and hear some of these examples from all over the state. And if we can share them with parents, to maybe spark new ideas. And we know not everyone's solution, um, you know, over here is going to work for everyone over here in a different situation. But if we can help kind of spark some of those creative solutions, sort of um, inspire some of those different ideas, that is kind of, you know, part of what it's all about here. I want to remind our audience that if you have very specific questions or if you want one-on-one support, when it comes to special education. You can call Ripen, 401-270-0101. We operate a call center that, this is what we do. We, we do one-on-one support for parents uh, and caregivers when it comes to to kids with, with disabilities, kids with special education needs. I will say that that call center is experiencing higher than usual call volume right now uh, and it, it might be a little while if you don't get a live answer. Do leave a voicemail. Uh, you can send an email to call at ripen.org You will get a reply whether you leave a voicemail or an email. Someone will get back to you just as soon as they can, and they will uh, they will work your case from beginning to end. Um, and that's what that's what these lovely ladies do every day. And I want to thank them again. We are pretty much out of time for today. Well, I want to thank everyone again for joining us today i want to thank our panelists katie conti Ann Fratura, and deb belanger for joining us today and answering your questions brand new experiment for us we've never done anything like this before <laughs> i i hope our audience found it helpful and we're gonna be back here next week uh and every week wednesdays from 4 to 5 p.m please join us and you can follow us on facebook check us out on twitter Take a look at www.ripen.org for information on how you can access this, submit your questions, join us live, listen to the podcast, watch us on YouTube, uh, and hopefully we're able to to help you out a little bit. Don't Um, forget about our
1: other webinars in our transition events that are coming up. We have a lot of virtual stuff happening out there, so...
0: Lots of virtual stuff happening. And the best way to stay on top of that is to join our email list if you haven't already. Uh, And you can, again, sign up for that at ripen.org. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your evening.